Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the podcast. It is a Wednesday this week. And boy, guest with me, Jerry Carter. We talk about a lot of things over the course of time. We did our sitting here in the studio for the very first time i'm not i'm not going to get hung up at how many famous people sat in this chair before me <laughs> i just want to say it's an honor to be here yeah i'm glad you're here yeah this, yeah this is this is a rare treat uh the studio having more than one person in it. <laughs> if you remember if you remember the old song super tramp take the long way home okay this 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 adventure started for a saturday night um in the superdome where we watched kind of a, I don't know, was it a monotonous game? Was it a boring game? It was really slow. It was, it, 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 it just, had moments. It didn't hold my interest. I was more worried about the, the, you know, the, how they flipped over the student section. But anyway, on a serious note, it gave me an idea to follow up with the podcast that we did last, last time. And for that people out there listening, I'm going to give you a brief recap. I, I'm not sure if the people that listen to Chris on a regular basis or read Chris on a regular basis can fully appreciate the depth of his knowledge and his ability to see things from so many angles. So my, uh, my world is about fun. I try to create fun and I, we, t- we tested it out. I felt like it went well. I felt that Chris had some fun with it. Here's what we're going to do. We have nine topics that are going to take a couple minutes apiece and then we have one topic that's going to that's going to take up the rest of the hour okay we're going to go follow back to the same format we used okay you're going to get a question from the the moderator and there's a panel here it's a five person panel person one chris graham uba alum person two chris graham the augusta free press uh media center person Third person, just a sports fan. Fourth person is the Tony Bennett, the UBA basketball coach. The fifth one, if he wants to answer it as I want Carla Williams, Carla Williams the athletic director. as the athletic director. Uh-huh. Now, with that said, with that said, what led to the first question? Anytime I can, I can give props to Scott German. I, I want to do that. I said Scott and I don't run in the same circles. But Scott wrote an article about the the press conference where UVA rolled out their new women's coach. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I I thoroughly enjoyed the angle. It got me thinking to the first question. How this works is I asked Chris that question. He chooses one of the five people and answers it through their eyes. If he wants to do it, a second one, he can do that. Okay. Just recently, unquestionably, the most famous UVA women's basketball alum, okay, Dawn Staley, just captured her second national championship. Okay, for my, my the, the easier question is, is that an overstep to say that Dawn Staley is the as far as people who played basketball at UVA? Is she, is she not the face of UVA on the floor, UVA basketball? On the women's side, yes. And she's close to being overall basketball. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. with that said, and, and pick, pick how you want to answer this, as fill in the blank of who you're going to be, she, she isn't coaching here. 
she's never going to coach here now. She just won her second natty. To what degree are you celebrating or not celebrating her accomplishments, being that she's not doing it at UVA? Uh, as a fan and alum, uh, celebrating because she's an alum, um, not not as if it was the same as if she was the coach at UVA as well. Sure. Um, you know, if you have to pick who to root for in that game, one, any reason not to root for Virginia or Emma is a good one. And he also has UVA ties. He was a former assistant coach under Debbie Ryan at UVA before he went to UConn. Uh, but Don played. Um, and then Chris, the alum, when Chris was an undergrad, um, played in pickup games with Don Staley. So, uh, you know, she was as tough then uh, as foul mouthed at times then <laughs> as she is now, maybe, maybe uh, less so because she's gotten better over time. But, um, but no, yeah, you root for her. Uh, and, uh, you know, she, and she had nice things to say about uh, the new coach mocks, so Makwa Google Hamilton um, uh, offered a, a really nice uh, quote for, um, for the, for the stories that we've done about the new hire. Um, and she's, I mean, you know, there was never a chance that Virginia was going to get her to be the coach. She's making $3.2 million a year in South Carolina. That's just not, that's just not something UVA is going to pay right now for a women's coach. Hopefully coach Mox gets Virginia women's basketball to a stage where we want to pay her that much money, but right now it's not the case. So we root, we, we root for Dawn when we're out of the tournament and this year we were out. definitely. Yeah. It was one of those situations where that question came from as Josh, my, my son-in-law who you've done some stuff yes, with. Yes. He's a, he lives and dies with the university of Georgia football when Justin Fields is their quarterback and he leaves. I asked Josh, I said, now, are you wishing ill will on him? I said, are you pulling for him or are you ignoring him? That's where the train of thought came from. I'm thinking where Dawn Staley is concerned, for those who don't know the story, don't know where she came from, doesn't, doesn't understand she's not 6'4", okay? She's 5'4", she's maybe. She's 5'4". Maybe 5'4". She now, Gino just handed over the reins to the U.S. Olympics team. She took a – I would challenge somebody to tell me who the second or third player on the team at UVA that she took to the Final Four – Oh, they had some. They were some loaded teams. Yeah. Sammy Reese is coaching now at uh, Rhode Island. Dina Evans is, is an assistant coach. The Birds twins. Uh, there were some. There were some good players on those teams. She, and they went to three Final Fours. Just never yes, won a championship. Right. They, just, they didn't win the yeah. So I'm sitting here, knowing me, I'm pulling for everybody all the time. I, that game was a win-win for me because I'm the rare guy who thinks if somebody said who's going to coach the game if your life depends on it, I'm I'm thinking it's Gino. Uh, but at the same time, my favorite female athlete of all time, okay, is Brianna Stewart. There's a, what people don't understand there is, yes, he's won a bunch of championships. Do you know how many he's won since Stewie graduated? When she went four for four and, and she won, she won four for four. He hasn't won one since. So it's never going to get the, the mileage out of it. Is it Brady or Belichick? Well, there's as much to that, though, that about Don Staley and South Carolina's emergence as anything. They've only won two championships, but the game has gotten a lot more. The women's game has gotten a lot more equalized. Um, the, in the John Wooden era, for example, he won 10 championships in 12 years, and then other, other schools started recruiting just as hard as, as he was recruiting. And the play, if, you, if you accumulate all the talent in one place, they're going to win championships. And now the women's athletes are saying, we don't have to go to UConn to be a star. We can go to a South Carolina. We can go 
Stanford is a traditional power, but they're reemerging as a power again. And so, so the, the talent's not all accumulating or not a bulk of talent's not accumulating in one place like it did in the era leading up to Brianna Stewart. Uh, it's a situation also, there's still a gap. After the first 10 teams, there's still a gap. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see some of the lopsides. But yes, the talent is you don't You don't see the upsets in the women's tournament uh, in the early rounds that you do in the men's tournament, generally speaking. Right. Now, my, uh, my second question, again, choose how you want to answer this. A lot has been made about the fight for the NIL. Okay. A lot has been made going back all the way to Ed Abanian and his starting it. Now that it's here, okay, here's my question to you whichever way you want to answer it. When do you think we'll see an athlete, okay, who would normally have went and gone pro stay because they're making money through NIL? I don't think you'll ever see that. And I'll, I'll be the reporter saying that. I don't think you'll ever see that because the money that is being generated for college athletics through NIL is still not comparable to what you can make in the professional ranks. If you're, if you're the player who is generating a lot of money through NIL at the college level, you're going to generate multiples of that at the pro level because all NIL money is sponsorship money. Um, if you're a pro player, you get that sponsorship money on top of a contract. And so, uh, for example, think of LeBron James. He makes many multiples off the court from what he makes on the court and, and top people like that do. So, um, I don't think you're ever going to see anybody stay stay in college um, because of money. It's just it's just pocket change while they're there. I really think. I mean, that's, that's just the way it's going to be. Because and also because the uh, the other factor here is that the people providing this money through NIL are largely people who've already been giving money to the athletics programs at their favorite schools, whether it's their alma mater or just the one in town. Um, but that was directly to the athletics department. And now the athletics departments across the country have to figure out. So we were getting 100% of that pie. And now we're getting some smaller percent of that pie. Whatever that percent is. Um, those, those boosters are now not giving us all the dollars. They're giving some of the dollars to the kids. And they're giving some of the dollars to uh, the, the school. So um, unless the, the schools can figure out a way to, to increase the pot overall, um, there's just not the, 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 the money, the money's finite and it's going to kids now into the end of the schools. I just, I just don't see how that could grow to a point where it could entice um, the, it, you, just the first name off the top of my head, Paolo Banquero top projected him and Chet Holmgren projected top one and two picks to say, nah, NBA can wait a year or two. We're making too much in college. Now, the follow-up question to that, that's there yeah, now, now that I, I agree with you, I agree with you. I don't know that it's going to, it might happen in the women's game only because they don't leave until after the third year. Right. You might see a woman because they have a chance to get more money in college than they do playing in the WNBA. Well, but they make money overseas, more money overseas than they do WNBA. Right. Even we have to wonder about that though, interject a bit, have to wonder about that though. A lot of those were, were uh, leagues in Russia and what's the future of those leagues in Russia, especially now with the Brittany Griner situation. So you have to wonder if that's just going to blow up and then how does that affect the women's game? That's a question that, you know, that we're going to see how that plays out. The, the follow-up to the NIL question. I think we all wanted it. We all wanted to see it. We now, we now it's been here. It's in place. Okay. Do you think, again, choose who I, who, who's answering this. Do you think it accomplished what, 
we were hoping what we were hoping it would accomplish. Well, I mean, it, the NCAA was under the point of a bayonet. I'll be the reporter again. I'll probably be the reporter on a lot of these. Um, the, the NCAA was under the point of a bayonet because they lost a court case. Uh, and, and they'd been fighting federal legislation for years that would have forced them to, to accept uh, this name image likeness uh, as, as reality. Um, and so now it's the law of the land. And um, um, it's still early. Uh, most schools are, are not uh, fully mature uh, in terms of how they're approaching it. Uh, I know the University of Virginia well, because that's who I cover regularly. Um, they just formed a collective within the last couple of months uh, that includes um, some, some big time people, some former athletics director type people, um, alums and others. Uh, and, and they're really just scratching the surface of what they can do. So I don't know, I don't think we're anywhere close to full maturity on what the impact of NIL is going to be both for the individual student athletes and also just more aggregate programs. And then even bigger, the whole of NCAA It's still very early stages. You know, we heard the headlines last year that Bryce Young um, was getting close to a million dollars from, you know, people at Alabama. And we figured, we found out it was closer to $800,000. So a lot of money. Uh, and thought everybody's getting that money. No, not everybody's getting that money. It's still very early stages. So um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that we can answer that yet. Um, it's here. It's not going away. It's only going to become more of um, a part of the game. Um, but again, I think that we have to look at the impact it's going to have on athletics departments, bottom lines too. Um, athletics department, for example, University of Virginia. I want to say last year they were around 110 million dollars in revenues. Um, only. 15 million or so was ticket sales. A lot of that money is TV money. And the rest of it, the rest of it that's not TV money is donor money. Um, donor, if donor money is 50 or $60 million of your pot out of $110 million, and then all of a sudden some of that donor money is being diverted to go directly into the kids' pockets for whatever jobs they're doing, um, schools have to make up what they're losing there or they got to cut things. And so we're, we're going to figure, it's, this is going to be something that's going to take a few years to play out. One of the things that I'll mention, and I don't have all the details, but uh, you know, my, my daughter, Sabrina, who's a professor at UGA, she said UGA is actually in the process of creating a class designed to teach people how to teach the athletes how to maximize it. I'm with you. I think we're just scratching the surface. Yeah. And at UVA, I know uh, we sat down last July. I mean, you know, a couple of weeks after NIL was uh, brought to life by the NCAA at the point of the bayonet from the courts uh, and talked with Carla Williams. And uh, I mean, at the time, this is a couple of weeks into NIL. And what she had to say was, um, boy, we, we have to figure this out too. You know, we have to figure out who in our department knows the rules well enough because it's not like now it's just wild, wild West and anybody can give anybody money. There's still rules you have to play by, but what are, what are those rules and how do they apply? And, you know, we've already seen one prominent booster, Dan Lambert, who's uh, the, the uh, a big guy in MMA. Uh, he's also a big Miami uh, University of Miami booster, and has been for a number of years. Um, he's he's he, he was he 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 became known for uh, offering to give a five hundred dollar per month stipend to everyone on the uh, Miami football team, and it was going to be something around six hundred thousand dollar annual value to the entire program for this. And he's already under investigation for having violated the rules in some way. So there are rules. <laughs> it's just, yeah, the, the class will be helpful, um, but also the compliance officers within the departments need to still learn the, the ins and outs of this. And it's still very much in development phase. That's a perfect segue to the, to the next question. 
And of course, we made a we were joking about where I was on Saturday was the Duke Carolina. I was fortunate enough to be one of the 70,000 people in the building. And this year we did less stuff during the basketball season because I won't hide from the fact I wanted to enjoy his last ride. Okay. While the Duke basketball program is not on my list of favorites, I, I, I can't, I don't have time to go door to door and say, I'm a fan of Duke university. You know, I said, but still out of respect to, for 42 years, anybody that does anything, I wanted to be in the building when it ended towards the end, the last podcast you and I did, we had some little fun, lighthearted fun at the end about does there need to be somebody in the chair? Okay. Coach K got asked the question. The day one that he was asked the question, he wasn't prepared for the question. Day two, he spoke. Did you get a chance to read what he said? I heard it today. I uh, was listening to the ACC network and they replayed it from a few days ago. So, yeah. So now again, I'm not going to say that coach K takes his advice from me and you, but in, in your, in your opinion, again, whichever five ways you want to answer this, I said, what is your take on somebody suggesting that they does, there does need to be, it's gotten so big, we've lost track of it. Does somebody need to be in the chair? Does it need to be one person? Does it need to be three people? What is your take on that? Yeah, somebody has been in that chair. Dan Gavitt was sort of the, I mean, he's not his title isn't commissioner of basketball for NCAA, but he was senior vice president, basically in charge of basketball. I know that the conferences have people in charge of each sport, just like in athletics departments. You don't hear this very much because, you know, ESPN doesn't write headlines about the business side of, of college sports or pro sports very much. Um, I don't mean to pick on ESPN. Most people don't. And if they, if they did, you didn't, you wouldn't read it because you're reading about the games and that kind of thing. But um, I met the ACC's commissioner of basketball. Um, he's a senior associate commissioner, but he's the guy in charge of basketball. And so there is someone in that job. Um, and I, I tend to think that they need to be people with administrative experience and also, I mean, to me, business experience. The NCAA is a huge the business. Well, the basketball side is a huge business. Basketball is what makes money for the NCAA, whatever the NCAA really is at this stage, which I'm not sure it's much, but um it's uh, in terms of an enforcement organization anyway, but it's, it's a business. And so um, I wouldn't want a neophyte business wise in that job. I want someone who, who can negotiate with TV networks um, from a position of knowledge um, and, and someone who can, and, you know, can deal with the nuts and bolts of event planning and that kind of thing, or at least you know, be conversant in it. Um, and uh, you know, the rest of it can take care of itself. So yes, someone, maybe that, maybe the previous job just needs more power. And more visibility. You know, we have in the, in the pro sports leagues, uh, you, you know who the MLB commissioner is. You know who the NBA commissioner is, NFL commissioner, NHL commissioner. Those are known entities. I've mentioned Dan Gavitt. If you, if you weren't, you had to watch this weekend on TV. They, they did a little segment, uh, not segment, <laughs> segments suggesting it way too big. Um, there was a camera on him sitting courtside, and for five seconds, uh, Jim Nance was talking about how he was the former commissioner, you know, basically the commissioner of basketball for the NCAA. And like, whoa, yeah, I knew Dan Gavitt. Most people watching that were either getting popcorn, getting a drink, or not really paying attention. It was coming out of a commercial break and, and didn't pay any attention to it because, but we, you know, there's a reason that we know who those pro sports commissioners are because we can blame them when things go wrong. Who do you blame when things go wrong in the NCAA? You don't know who to blame. So you blame Mark Emmer, um, uh, who calls the Jayhawks Kansas City Jayhawks. 
Um, and he's easy to blame for a lot of things, but no, I think we need someone who's visible in that job uh, and, uh, and actually has power. So, so I'm all for that. I, I think a great example by that, I know your love for baseball. Let's go back to the Black Sox scandal. It looked like they were going to get away with it. They were, you know, the movie, the story told, hey, they put a commissioner in place. Yeah. And they, the commissioner actually had authority. I'm not even sure how much the current commissioners, you know, authority were owners versus commissioners. If you're going to have somebody in that spot, they have to have the authority well, to do something. Well, I mean, looking at Kansas, you know, I mean, how embarrassed are we? And most people didn't pay attention to this, but we gave a trophy to a guy who's facing five level one violations. Um, a commissioner who has real authority, theoretically, could have said three years ago, yes or no. I'm not saying, Bill Self, I mean, you know, he's due his day, due process. I'm, I got a degree in constitutional law, whatever good that is uh, in life now, 30 years later, but um, everyone deserves their day in court, so to speak. But, you know, if, if they would have dealt with this one way or the other and said he's either guilty or he's not guilty, um, you know, then, then we wouldn't be handing a, a trophy to someone who's got the cloud from three years ago of allegations above them. That's not good for the sport. A commissioner would be, hopefully, would have enough power to not. What What are they waiting for? You know, and that that's that's a big that's a big, and it's not just him. It's other it's other cases too. These cases drag on for way too long. Either either give someone or some group authority, or just stop the pretense of acting like you can investigate potential crimes. On that note, I, the, the the time I spent in the Superdome, I tried to mind my own business. Well, you're hearing people talk. And I said, okay, I said, if I'm going to say one thing on this same note, I said, there was an uproar recently, okay? LSU, who, whose coach got in trouble, whose coach got in trouble roughly at the same time for roughly the same thing. There were people doing columns. There were people going on tirades about he was allowed to keep his job and make another $10 million. And then they decided they couldn't be embarrassed by him anymore. I said, I said, if you're going to get mad about that, not only did Kansas give self more money, they gave him what? A lifetime, a lifetime contract. contract. Yeah, yeah. We're back to the Astros when, in my mind, the Astros winning the trophy. Well, doesn't Bruce Pearl have a lifetime contract too now? I mean, Pearl. he's another, not in the same exact case, but he did the same thing. Right now, you just, you took me to my next segment. Okay, Here's okay. my next question for you. Okay. Anybody that listens to you and I know we like to point out the cheaters. <laughs> we were joking the other day about the SEC and I told you, I said, in my world, it stands for see everybody cheat on the basketball side. I'm not condemning the football side. No, oh, I don't know. Not, <laughs> I, I don't know. I said, maybe they're all doing these things, but the basketball coaches are actually getting caught. Well, they're, they're just getting caught. So now here's my question. Here's my question. Answer this. Any of your five people. Okay. In your mind, does the school cheat or does the coach cheat. Well, the coach cheats, but the school has to know it, right? I mean, and I guess I'm still being the reporter here um, because, you know, that's why we, one of the charges that ends up being lobbed at schools is lack of institutional control. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what the definition of that is. It's unfortunate, but yeah, if the, you know, and cheating can be anything. Cheating can be classes that kids don't take, um, that get, they get credit for North Carolina, unfortunately, for 20 years. Um, and that scandal never got resolved fully. Um, it can be a, a, to the level of having a handler find you players. 
you know, um, and, and, you know, paying him money to whatever he does with the money at that point, whether he gives some of the family, keeps it in his own pocket, a little combination of both cheating can go in a lot of ways. Um, and so, um, but it's, the, I mean, the coach is the CEO of his or her program in, in a college athletics environment, but they have, and they, they have la- there are layers above them. There's an associate athletics director, whatever the term may be at different schools. I know at UVA is an associate athletics director who is responsible for their sport. So they have someone to answer to. They make more money than that person. If you're, if you're the men's basketball or the football coach, you make a lot more money than that person, but you still answer to them. And then of course that person answers to the athletics director. And so um, it's not just that God, I'm not going to, Tony Bennett's not going to do this, but Tony Bennett, if he wanted to cheat, he can't just cheat and have no one to answer to. There's at least one person who directly is overseeing him. And then that person even has to answer to Carla Williams. And so, um, and of course, Carla Williams has to answer to Jim Ryan, the president of the university of Virginia, who answers to the board of visitors at the university of Virginia. Um, and so this, I mean, when you look at it that way, it's a school that has to be a part of it because you can't pretend, especially in the case of LSU, um, what could he have done the second time that made it worse than the first time? The first time there were federal wiretaps with, with, uh, with evidence in court. We could hear the, we could hear what they were saying. Um, what could he have done the second time? I don't think anybody wants to, all you need to know is there's 11 kids. There were 11 kids on the LSU roster and they're not there anymore. Um, they're getting out of town before the hammer comes down as far as that goes. Uh, one of the one, uh, two examples with that, what I, I want to focus on during this seven, because you and I talked through text messages about the situation at Xavier. Mm. Okay. Now the, the last two coaches skip the current, the guy that just lost his job. Mm-hmm. You had Sean Miller and you had Chris Mack. Well, and why did this guy lose his job? Maybe he didn't cheat. Like there, that there, <laughs> I'm going I'm talking. Long, I, I'm going <laughs> Sean Miller. Okay. Sean Miller takes over a, 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 a program where people are lining up to go. I'm not saying that Arizona is Kentucky, but Arizona is Kentucky of the West. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and I, I, one of the places I got to go on this hundred day journey was the McHale center. And I, 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 the, uh, Lute Olson's still with us. Right. So I'm not going to say he was rolling over in his grave, but I'm pretty sure Lute Olson had a problem with what Sean Miller did to his program. So we're going to punish him. Right. Yeah. We're going to punish him. And then he's going to get rewarded by getting his old job back at Xavier. I mean, you're, you're asking yourself, this is this not Bobby Petrino all over again? Yeah. You're going. So now that's what I'm asking. Separating about Houston. My, my wife goes, she knows I'm, I have an angle and everything. She goes, she goes, why aren't you pulling for Houston? I said, Calvin Sampson. I said, I said, Calvin Sampson didn't break a rule at Indiana. I think he broke every rule. She goes, was it fair? That you're punishing, you're you're punishing. It's not like I'm taking their lunch money from them. I'm just saying I'm pulling for Villanova to win the game mm-hmm. because I think Jay Wright is in the same mold, okay, as Tony. Bennett. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I said I have no. I said so. I every game I look at, it's good versus evil. I'm sitting here and I'm going now. I'm going. Well, she she made me think. That's right. Is it the school Louisville? My brother's a grad. You and I have talked. I said I said since the day. Louisville came into the ACC. They've done nothing but embarrass us uh-huh. in the big two. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Embarrass us in the big two. I said, every, I can tell you all the other coaches, 
Mm -hmm. I, I, Jeff Walls, I'm like, you know, I, I said, hey, I said, hey, I said, look at that. Look at the volleyball program. Baseball. Look, look at, look, I said, look at all of this. I go, I said, now, is it what's causing that to happen? Okay. And start out, you, you got, you got, you got Patino. Then you're going, okay. Then they tried to give it, when they had to get rid of Patino, they still tried to save face and they gave it to somebody off his staff, which I don't really get that. Then you bring in Chris Mack, and when they, they they have to get rid of Chris Mack, they gave it to Chris's Mack's longtime assistant. Now I'm sitting here, and I I pitch out the idea. I said, you know who would be great at Louisville? I said Nolan Smith. Okay, and now the story breaks this week. They're thinking about bringing him in next to Kenny uh, Payne. Kenny Payne. Yeah, yeah. Now I. In that scenario, I'm going, I don't know Kenny Payne. I'm not going to pretend that I know Kenny Payne. I said, who did Kenny Payne work next to for 10 years? John Calipari. I'm going, okay. I, I said, thank God he played for Denny Crum. Maybe we have a fighting chance. How If you're Louisville. Now, I'm not, well, I had a sixth hat. You're the, you're the president of the University of Louisville. Your last two foot, Satterfield only really made one mistake. He flirted with a South Carolina job. Okay, but you're looking at the Petrino situation, you're looking at the Satterfield situation, the Patino, the Mac, all of this is going on. You're the University of Louisville president. Okay, what are you telling your new people? Well, you're assuming that, you know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know this president, hopefully that the president actually runs the school first and then the athletics program second. Um, that's, that, that, that's what I think a big problem is, not just at Louisville, but everywhere is that, and it's really odd to me, um, knowing college finance, college and university finance is like I've taught myself the last few years to learn. Athletics doesn't make a profit. It, it pays, it barely pays its own bills when you look at the actual, you know, the 990s and the, the dive into the finances. They don't, they don't make a profit for the schools. Um, they're an important advertising uh, venture for the schools. Um, and it's interesting that you choose to put, I mean, UVA puts $110 million in it, into its advertising. Um, Texas A&M and Texas put $250 million plus into their advertising. They're the two biggest schools in terms of revenue. Um, you know, the, the, the mystique about sports is, oh, we, we went to the bowl game this year, and so that's going to be a new building for the English department. That's not how it goes. That money stays there. In fact, at a lot of schools, and Virginia is one of them, so I'm talking around your question here but way around your question here, but you know, a lot of, a lot of money comes to, to balance their, their budget. They, they make so little, they're, they're so unprofitable that they have to charge what are called student fees to students like me when I was going through who a poor kid from a trailer park and scraping up money to go to school and you pay student fees in, in Virginia, it's something like $15 million a year goes to the athletics department to, to balance their budget. They make as much money from athletic, these, these student fees as they do from ticket sales. Um, and, and, and most schools now, Texas and Texas A&M and a couple other schools in the top five revenue-wise don't do that. But so athletics are a, a money loser for schools. And yet you have a lot of schools who still make decisions based on athletics first, academic second. And I feel like Louisville is one of those schools. And um, hopefully the new president 
is not that kind of person, but I would be surprised if the board of visitors that hired the several previous presidents that led to the Petrino being hired twice and Patino being hired and uh, Chris Mack being hired would change that situation for them. I think, you know, the SEC, the Big 12 have it wrong. Most of the ACC has it right. It's a school first and then there's academic, then there's athletics. But, you know, three fifths of our, three fifths of our, um, power five uh act like that the schools are attached to the athletics programs not vice versa so i i'm, I'm a cynic in that respect i i am actually on the exact same page with you i i'm just if i'm a louisville president i'm saying fellas you know what we need right now we need to just clean up our image a little bit just a little bit just a little bit just just, just a smidge just just put just put some 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 furniture polish on it and can we, and, can we stop committing the equivalent of murder and maybe just have an assault case. I, okay, you, what they're doing is just so, and I'm going, I'm not trying to make light of it because again, because my brother has a piece of paper on the wall, I want to pull for Louisville. And in all the other sports, I'm pulling for Louisville. I said, I can't pull for somebody who's knowingly and willing. And now you mentioned Bruce Pearl. We had a little fun with that. I, I, you know, the, the fact about Pearl, and if you go back and take the time to see every place he did something, it's the longest list there is. He had a show calls penalty. penalty. He yeah. couldn't coach for a year. Right. And That's Auburn, a rare one. Auburn hired him during that year. During that year. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sean Miller hasn't even gotten a show calls penalty. He's going to get it soon. <laughs> he might have to miss his first 15 games as the coach um, if, if, if the NCAA acts within the next few months. So, yeah. Next, next question. Next question. Because anybody that's ever listened to us knows we, we, we do have we, – we disagree on a lot of things, but a lot of things were on the page. We are both proud to say we're ACC homers, are we not? Yes. Okay. It was a tough. It was a tough basketball season for us, even though we didn't think it should be. We felt it was. We felt it was kind of a sham. So my question to you, and I want you to put a number on this, but it'll be a uh -huh. shorter question. Uh -huh. Okay. If 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 ACC is a stock on Wall Street, okay, Duke Carolina semifinal, how much did the stock go up? that night i think a, a good bit but i think the whole tournament was the the acc's uh bull run uh <laughs> as far as the socks go um we should have gotten wake forest and probably virginia in the tournament as well three just for people that's in three three out of the final eight okay you're you're sitting four here, of the sweet 16 and, and, and it was only five you know only it, five in the tournament right you're and notre dame had to win a game and just to get in the main field right and shouldn't have had. They were second place in the regular season and had, to, and they were in the first four. Okay. Virginia Tech was was twenty three and twelve going into the tournament with the ACC tournament trophy in their hands and were an eleven seed. The second half of that question is for all the stock going up. How much do you feel the stock dropped with Carolina, who played like? They literally, it was the Jekyll and Hyde. I don't think Carolina lost that game. I, Kansas I, I think won Kansas won it. Kansas won the game, yeah. You know, people are like, okay, North Carolina, I say, I don't know. I don't think Carolina Kansas so. Kansas won the game with great defense in the second half. Yeah. So now, so, so now my question is, second half of the question, how much did the stock go down? None. Okay. None. Okay. Because, because they were an eight seed in the tournament. Um, they they were a, a um, they were a bubble team supposedly with like a week to go. If they hadn't beaten Duke, they were going to be on Joe Lunardi's first four out. He even said so afterwards. Somehow, some way, 
Um, and <laughs> they went to the championship game and had a 15-point lead at halftime. If anything, our stock should go up from that game because uh, before the tournament, if anybody tells you Kansas is going to lose to Carolina after – or Kansas is going to beat Carolina after rallying from 15 down to win the championship, what mushrooms have you been smoking, kid? Um, and so, no, that's, I think the stock, if anything, nudged up a bit, um, even there. And certainly, I mean, the, that, that incredible game Saturday night, um, so rarely does anything live up to the hype. I said this on another uh, radio, I did a radio interview on Monday, and, you know, Super Bowls get lots of hype. Rarely are Super Bowls worth even the name Super Bowl. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so things, we're used to things being hyped, and then they don't work out. That came surpassed the hype. And that's hard to do because it was Duke Carolina Final Four Coach K's last game. It surpassed the hype. Um, and so, I mean, you were there uh, just watching on TV, um, screaming at my TV at 1130 at night. Like I was watching a Virginia game. That, that tells you I'm watching the two teams I want to see both lose. And it's still, it, drug, it dragged me into that game. Um, that, was a, that was an incredible TV event that night. The, the next question on, along those same lines, and you and I talked all the week. First of all, I had a blast with the football stuff. I thought we, I came up with an idea. I thought we wrote it hard. It was a lot of fun. The, the general thing that we agree on in football is the ACC needs Clemson in football. Now, you'll hear people say, I said, basketball is better when UCLA is good. Basketball is better. I'm asking you to compare what Clemson football means to the ACC versus what Duke Carolina basketball means to the ACC. Come at it from either side. We need Clemson because right now we don't have anybody but Clemson playing on the national stage. When we had Florida State, we needed Clemson and Florida State. We don't have anybody else that's competing. And, of course, this year Clemson didn't compete on the national stage either, but we, that, we were missing that. Um, you know, John Swafford and now Jim Phillips would love there to be what we have in basketball where Virginia has entered and now there's a power Troika. Um, and then, then you've got some other programs that are annual contenders. I mean, Syracuse has been to a final four in the last five or six years, right? Um, it was 2016. They took UVA's bid that year. So they went to the final four that year. Um, so they've been in a, they've been in a final four relatively recently. And they've been to a couple sweet 16s with teams that barely made the tournament. So Syracuse, no matter what they do regular season wise, they're always a contender. Um, Virginia Tech now with a second coach who's had success. At first, it was Buzz Williams. Now, um, with Mike Young, uh, you know, you're, so when when success transfers from one coach who leaves and then goes to another, Virginia Tech is a is a regular NCAA player. Florida State serving Leonard Hamilton as long as he's there, and he he's 72 and he looks like he's 42. Uh, he's going to be there for a while. Florida State's a player. Um, we've got players. Um, Duke Carolina emerging this year. It was great. We have, we had two teams in the final four because we weren't supposed to have anybody past the sweet 16. If we even had anybody in sweet 16, um, we need, we need Clemson more in football right now until <laughs> and it's a hopeful until I say we get somebody else to make themselves a player there. And, you know, the, the fall of Florida state um, hurt us a lot and they're not coming back anytime soon. And, you know, Virginia Tech had a run. Um, they never were quite the level of let's be in a playoff kind of thing. They, 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 their uh, heights were before the playoff era started. If they would have been a playoff contender, if the playoffs had been in place during those years, 2004 to 2011, they would have been a regular playoff contender. But they're nowhere near that now. They're starting with a new coach for the second time since Beamer. 
Um, I don't know who the other player is. I mean, when I start going down a list, I don't know who the other player is right now. We need another. We probably need two or three more, and we have one. And so we need we need Clemson desperately to to go twelve and zero next year and 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 play us into a playoff situation. Because if we don't have them, we have nobody. The uh, next the next question that I have here, and this will be one. Take your time and try to answer this lines two through 10, but I'm kind of curious what number one will be. We, we, get, we had a podcast years ago where we talked about who has a job that they wouldn't leave. Okay. Now we're in a situation. My question is all our personal, our personal feelings aside, which is the best job in whether it be college football or college basketball, which is the job that rides above all other jobs as the job? In well, your mind, gosh, uh, we've had people leaving Notre Dame and Oklahoma in football. <laughs> we, um, we had two coaches retire in basketball, Duke and Carolina. Um, I don't know that anybody, they, you know, I, I, Hubert Davis isn't leaving Carolina. I don't think John Shire's leaving Duke for any other jobs. They're not using those as stepping stones. Um, nobody's, Cal Perry's going to have to have Kentucky pride from his cold, dead hands. That's, <laughs> if you ask me the same question. Despite how I feel about Kalahari, mm -hmm. the University of Kentucky basketball job is the most elite job there. It probably is okay. because there's there's a lot of money there. Uh, Big Blue Nation is 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 uh, very loyal. Um, I wonder how loyal they are now, though, after losing to a 15 seed in the first round with a team that a lot of people thought was the tournament champion going in. So, um, and and now the narrative on him is he's won one championship uh, since he's been there and that got tubby fired didn't it <laughs> i can do, do an hour podcast on that conversation alone. <laughs> oh, oh tubby only won one hey cal perry's only won one yeah here's the same and look thing. at the talent he's had in the last I said, tubby smith years. wins one they show him the door okay calipari wins one they give him a lifetime contract Gosh, and I, I don't understand the math you but look, at the list, math, and right? you look at the list of guys he's had and and just he's got one i mean it's you know, we're proud of EVA. We got 12 guys playing in the NBA right now. He's got, he, he could put his own uh, team to win a gold medal in the Olympics with his recent alums. And um, he's got one championship. So no, it, you, but that's the best job. And that's the best. And at this stage, because we had a guy leave Notre Dame and a guy leave Oklahoma in football, that's probably the best job in all college sports. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Do you now, do you have a second or a third or a fourth? Um, I, you know, it, it's a situation about, if, if there's the job, we are, there's certain people who aren't going to leave certain jobs because this is going to lead into a Shire. Um, yeah, nobody's ever – Shire and Davis aren't leaving Duke or Carolina to go somewhere else. Well, they're alums, but they're not, they're not stepping stone jobs. Um, they're not going to – you know, Shire's young. He's not going to be at Duke for 10 years, though, and take the Lakers job or the Celtics job. Um, Hubert's relatively young too, I guess Hubert, cause he's, he's a year or two older than me. So he's around 50 or 51 years old. He's not going to do this for five years and take the Lakers or Celtics job. They're not going to take another college job. So those, those are, those are the other two jobs that no one will ever leave. They'll be, they'll be shown the door maybe like when Matt Doherty was, but they're not going to leave. So that leads me into, I, I know, and I, I, I've heard people say for a long time, I can't wait till coach K's gone and Duke falls back to being mediocre. Okay, my question is this, with Hubert Davis, okay, now, as, as somebody who's followed Duke basketball for four decades, okay, would John Shire have been who I picked 
Okay, off of who I like most or who's mine. I would not. I would have picked Amaker. I will tell you this. I would I would have said Bobby Hurley. I would have said Quinn Snyder. I there, there are people I out there. You know, I, I said I said now for me, they got the absolute right job guy for the their mentality. I thought they would take a step back. I thought they would take a step back and say, okay, maybe we're gonna go just a little bit back to being what Duke was before the one and done. Okay, now Hubert, they had. Right. Hubert Davis, now in that situation, yes, Tommy Amaker. I love Amaker. I said, once I realized that no, they weren't going to shift gears, Shire's the guy. Hubert Davis, is it possible in your mind that he now, instead of there being a drop, does he now made UNC actually going up? The people who thought Roy Williams and Coach K leaving would be the end of the world. Mike, what, what is your take on I mean, Hubert Davis? It's the jury's already in. Now, Shire still, he's recruited the next group. He still has to coach them. He has to coach them. So, a couple of thoughts there. One, um, he, he's going to have the same level of talent this year that Coach Case had each of the last several years with, with the, the recruits who come in for one year and then mostly leave. Um, but will he be able to make the in game adjustments that? Coach K, I'm reading the book, um, and I've got it on my phone. So if I don't, and I didn't bring my phone up here to, to look the, the new book out on Coach K. Um, and one thing I'm learning about this is what a student of the game he was, even as a young assistant coach under Bobby Knight at Indiana, before he got a job in Army, even. Um, and um, uh, you know, so he he's he's not just a guy with 45 years experience who makes in-game adjustments. He was making those adjustments as a as a young assistant coach. Um, you know, this we're talking almost 50 years ago now when he was, at, you know, at Indiana, you know, Army prep and all these kind of jobs. And so Shire has to, we'll see that about Shire. He'll have the talent, at least this first year, he'll have the talent. Um, but, I mean, we've seen Duke teams. I mean, last year's Duke team was 12 and 11 in a regular season. So that team had a lot of talent too and and, and didn't perform. When you recruit a new, new uh, Calipari two years ago had a 14 and 19 season with a group of one and dones at Kentucky. Um, no, excuse me, 14 and 19 was Roy two years ago. Uh, Calipari last year had a losing season in the COVID shortened season. Uh, last year didn't make the tournament. So you can recruit a group of five stars who are NBA talents and lose. Um, and so, um, and then what happens with Shire? Then, then do they, does he have to, I think eventually he has to adjust. I think the game has to adjust. What we're seeing now is the, in the one and done era, we've had two, the Duke and Kentucky have been the two prominent teams with with the that that the use of that um, nomenclature of players, um, and they each have one national championship in this era, dating back to like 2010. Uh, and Villanova's got two; they don't play one and done. Virginia's got one. Um, Kansas, we'll throw them up, whatever they are. Um, but I think that the game has evolved to a point where it's going to be more important to work the transfer portal. Then it's going to be to work the the five or ten kids who can be one and done's portal, um, and that's what Carolina did this year. Uh, Brady Manick, four year player at Oklahoma, and thirteen points and thirteen rebounds in the championship game, and a big reason they got to the championship game. A big reason they got through the whole the whole tournament. Um, you're gonna to have to you're gonna to have to Remy Martin at, at Kansas yeah. okay. from, Bobby a, from Bobby Hurley's group, yeah. Uh, you're going to have to, you, you know, re- recruit four-year guys, hope they stay four years, and then when you have roster holes, you fill them in with transfers. 
Um, I think that's going to be the way that, I mean, it's Kansas was built this way this year. Carolina was built this way this year. Um, and so I think that the teams who were, no one argues that, that Carolina had more talent than the Duke team did that Duke team. This, this Duke team was more talented than the one three years ago because of the depth of the talent, right? The team three years ago was Ian Williamson, RJ Barry and Cam Reddish. That was those three guys. And then a bunch of guys around them who watched them play, who watched them play. Yeah. Hey, look at that. We get to, we get to play with Ian Williamson. (laughs) This, this year's team had seven NBA guys on it and um, deep and talented. Uh, but they're also, you know, I mean, Wendell Moore is a, a junior and, and uh, Jeremy Roach is a sophomore, but the five, the other, and, and also um, Mark Williams is a sophomore, but the other, the, the four, four, the other key players, all young guys, um, four, four freshmen. Um, and they're getting beat by fifth year seniors. You know, that's what happens. That's what, and that's what, that's what, that's where the game's going. So, you know, I think in that respect, the, the, the Duke folks maybe didn't foresee where this game is going and, and this year's tournament, I think play, I mean, look at St. Peter's St. Peter's beat a, a young Kentucky team with old Northeast conference guys. <laughs> and, 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 and they got all the way to the, to the elite eight with, with old Northeast conference guys. So I think we're seeing that, that experience can trump talent. Uh, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how, so the first year of Shire will be fun uh, to watch just because they have a lot of talent. They'll win a lot of games, but Duke doesn't play basketball to go 27 and four in a regular season and then drop out in the first or second round of the tournament. They they're there for the series. You know, we want to make runs in the tournament and, and we'll see how that goes next year, especially when he gets in, in key situations in key games. Can he make those in-game adjustments that, that's just asking sitting one seat down and seeing him make the adjustments. One thing thinking of the adjustment as the game is going on and then being able to implement it is another thing. And, and Shire is going to have to prove himself in that respect. Well, that was the exact thing when my wife, who is, she is a Duke basketball fan. Again, I, I love the school. She's a Duke basketball She goes, what are our chances? I said, without a doubt, there's nobody has the talent Duke has. Nobody, not even close. I said, but I said, I can count six teams that are better teams because they've been together. They're in Pearl said it. Not that I'm ever going to give Pearl the better the pearl goes, do you know those guys? My guys are 18. Those guys are 25 after Miami ran them out of the gym. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Six-year yeah. seniors. That's the thing we, we saw in this tournament. What Duke would do, they played like an NBA team, an NBA team playing in a regular – a talented NBA team in the regular season. They would play for 35 minutes up and down the court. We have as much offense as anybody in the country. We will just outscore you. And if the game's closed in the last five minutes, then we'll play defense. And that worked. I mean, the, you, you well, before we started recording, you talked about the Michigan State game. If Coach Izzo could have coached his guys up in the last four or five minutes, they win that game. Well, Coach K could say, okay, here's what we're going to do defensively now. Um, and, and that worked. Each round, Texas Tech, Arkansas, same thing. A, one defensive adjustment, we win the game. Last 332 of the Carolina game, 67-67 coming up with TV timeout. Carolina had seven possessions. They scored seven times. You can, you can ride that until you can't. Right. And um, veteran teams play better in, in, in late game situations. That was a young team, and they got smacked in the mouth, and they couldn't respond. As we as we go to wrap up, there was two things left on my list. The one we're leaving alone because it would carry its weight in its own podcast. Okay, we we're, we're on a time thing. Okay, so here's what I'm going to leave you with, okay. so that we can actually. We, I want to say we have the fastest 60 minutes in podcast. <laughs> it's a shame. Sometimes it lasts 92 minutes. <laughs> so we're going to have this be 60 minutes. So in that situation, we have roughly five minutes. Okay. We've talked. For no, two, we got we got eight minutes. Eight minutes. We got eight minutes. We've yeah. talked for two podcasts about how 
everything in the college basketball landscape has changed. Okay. So for the last eight minutes, okay, again, Tony Bennett, this, this, this part is just about Tony Bennett. Okay. Okay. Now my question to you is what adjustments, okay. What adjustments, what change of direction does Tony Bennett, what path does he need to go down to guarantee success? We, it's a different world now. Again, the transfer portal, the, you know, these people, these people are coming, these people are going. Uh, Tony, the national championship team, you said yourself last time, maybe DeAndre Hunter, maybe was the only other NBA talent coming in the door. He made that team. He created that team. The year before he wasn't available, they lost to NBC. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now I'm going, if now, if you're sitting there, not that Tony Bennett's going to come over and ask us, but if Tony Bennett came to you and said, Chris, you know, this game, I know, I said, I know you love my team. I know you love the school. How do we go forward? What mixture? What I, I also enjoyed the, the question or the thing you wrote about the Kia Clark situation. Okay. Build me a team that will allow Tony Bennett to be Tony Bennett going forward. And not, I'm not asking you to name names, but what is the mix? How does it work? I'll let you close with that. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of UVA fans are, are heating up social media with these discussions right now too. It have been the last two weeks since the loss of St. Bonaventure and the NIT. Um, the, the, uh, the social media experts <laughs> suggest he needs to change his approach from a schematic standpoint, which is not going to happen and it shouldn't happen. Um, this is the way he coaches. Uh, defensively, you play the pack line defense, uh, which is a defense that makes everyone better. It's a it's a five five people playing five people on defense kind of thing. You're not even though we have great individual defenders and have for years. Reese Beekman, I think, should have been ACC Defensive Player of the Year this year. Um, you can you can you can hide a guy in that defense because it is a team nature defense. Who's a scorer? Um, if anything, maybe, you know, work a little bit more to get one more score on the court at times, but, um, you can, you, Sam Hauser, for example, Sam Hauser could shoot the lights out. He could not play the defense that normally would be required of a UVA guy, but he was so good offensively. All right, Sam, we're going to find a place for you. Um, and, and the other guys have to work a little harder on defense, but, um, offensively, maybe a little bit of a deviation from running the mover blocker offense 90% of the time to, 60 or 70 percent of the time you've got right now you've got Reese Beekman a very talented point guard who um, when things break down and the team looks to the sideline with nine seconds on the shot clock uh, and Reese has the ball in his hands and Tony does whatever he does to say basically we're doing an iso play now and Reese Beekman's going to get to the rim and score um, he does that three or four times a game and it makes you say why don't we do that more often um, you know he you know his system is so team oriented that it can be the case that um, guys are sublimated within that to a point where they, they I mean, Joe Harris, Malcolm Brogdon scoring lots of points in the NBA. They didn't score. You know, it reminds me of the old joke about, you know, how Dean Smith was the only guy who would hold Michael Jordan under 20 points a game. Um, you know, you look at the stats that, that they're, these guys are putting up, maybe, maybe adapt a little bit. I'm not suggesting, Hey, run up and down the court, but um you know, adapt a little bit to let when you have talented guys like Beekman or Brogdon or or Harris or whatever the case may be, um, to let them uh, show themselves a little bit more uh, offensively, um, without without 
contradicting your core philosophy, which is we are a team. You know, he had he uses his five pillars. His five pillars are, are you know, the the unity and the um, the, the the thankfulness and the I, I, I follow these every day and I'm, I'm I'm blanking on what they all are right now. But you know, the the it emphasizes the the fact that we are a group and we're better as a group than we are as a sum of our talents. And so at, that, at the same time, I think he can get more out of his, his group if he would allow um, those supreme talents. And he's had, he, Brogdon was one. I think Beekman is one. Um, I think that he's recruiting a, a point guard who's uh, going to be deciding here in about a week. Um, uh, London Johnson from Georgia, uh, who's uh, a kid that uh, is very high on Virginia, a 6'4 point guard, who's our next Beekman basically. Um, they shouldn't be running off screens and passing the ball and then standing in the backcourt. I think that they should, you know, be allowed to, to show themselves a little bit more from a recruiting standpoint, then, you know, I, he's done, you know, the, uh, the fan base also gets upset at, um, well, you know, Casey Morsell didn't work out. Jabri Abdurrahim didn't work out. Um, uh, Justin McCoy didn't work out. What's wrong with Tony's recruiting? Well, the problem with Tony's recruiting is everyone else, one of those kids too. Uh, when you, when they're four stars, they're top 50 recruits and, and, uh, and they, they come to your place and don't work out and then they transfer. And then when they go to the new place, they don't work out. Um, that's not just Tony missing. Sometimes you miss, right. Um, this was a down year for Virginia and they were, they won 20, uh, 21 games and played in the second, the third round of the NIT. Um, I mentioned earlier, Duke had a, a down year last year, 12 and 11. Uh, Kentucky was not, they were, they had a losing record Kentucky last year. Carolina two years had a losing record. Down year for us is 21 wins and, two, and, and, and should have been in the big tournament, if you ask me. Um, when you got to the Elite Eight, Virginia had four wins against the Elite Eight, um, which was the most in the country. Now, three wins against the Elite Eight, four against Sweet 16, both were the most in the country of any team against those two groups of teams. And, um, and that was a down year for us. So, um, stick to your guns, um, recruit good kids, uh, recruit, uh, you know, he's got a fabulous group of recruits coming in. You know, the Duke recruiting class always gets the recognition it gets because it's always so good. Duke, Duke nationally this year, number two nationally, Virginia's number nine nationally. And that's with one kid still outstanding, London Johnson, who, if he comes in as a five-star guard, we never had a five-star guard before, even with the likes of Brogdon and Harris and Guy and Jerome and Hunter, they were not five-stars. We get this kid in here, we won't be number two, um, but we'll be higher than number nine. And and this would be then his best recruiting class ever. His last great recruiting class won a national championship in his third year. So I don't think you upset the apple cart um, because of a 21-11 season only going to the NIT. I think you just say um, we had a couple recruiting misses. If if Casey Morsell had gone somewhere else, he would have also flamed out there, unfortunately, for him. Young man, um, he's, a, he's a nice young man, really good to talk to, young man. Um, but just didn't work out at at at, uh, at UVA or NC State, unfortunately for him. Um, and you just say, um, let's just keep doing what we're doing, and and what we're doing is working. I have 30 seconds left by my count. Here's my last question for you, because we always want to end on a good note. And maybe I'll be surprised by your answer. It's a yes or no. Can Tony Bennett in this environment still hang a second banner in JPJ in your mind? A second in, in future, yeah. There you go. Always want to end on a good note. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Now that we, we have one more, I'm telling you, it's going to be fun. Maybe as fun as anything we've done. Okay. We'll let Chris decide when that happens. But Chris, <laughs> it's always a pleasure. There's nobody I'd rather do this with than you. Well, thank you. And thank you for stopping by the studio. This is like a rare treat. So um, 
for our listeners out there, thank you as well. You know, these are fun. A lot of the podcasts we do, we talk about the current events, like a game we're recapping or a game we're previewing. I love these where we get to do the bigger topics, the more aggregate kind of things. So hopefully you guys enjoy this too. And I know the feedback's always good. So I know that you do. Uh, for Jerry Carter and Chris Graham, signing off. Everyone have a great day.